Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We've been uh, going through a series on signs of life, and we're on uh, number seven. Now, next week, we're going to uh, have a Mother's Day and have a special on Mother's Day. We'll also uh, open it up uh, for the inspiration part of anyone that'd like to share about their mother. Uh, it could be a stepmom, an actual mom, it could be a spiritual mom, uh, somebody, uh, whatever you'd like to share. But it, make sure that, so if you want to be... Uh, Think about it. Want to open that up next week to share about it? We'd love to, love to hear. I believe they're also the men are going to be singing to the ladies next week. So we want everyone because we don't want just two of us. Charlie and I don't want to do any what? Isn't that right, Charlie? <laughs> and you don't want us to do it. Anyway. So we get a lot of us up there, and Charlie and I can get further away from the mic. So uh, the music we're going to sing is actually up here. So. Uh, Say we give it all to you now, but you'll all forget it probably, right? So I have it up here. The uh, today I'd like to talk a little bit about the. Uh, you probably have watched it on TV. I've never seen so many uh, crime shows that are on TV. In fact, I looked it up last night. There's 43 different crime shows. If you want to find it through Netflix or everything, you have a lot of these CSI programs. CSI, Las Vegas, CSI, Los Angeles, all these different things, and. Uh, what does CSI stand for? Crime Scene Investigation. All right, well, what do you think about that? Crime Scene Investigation. You know, you think about it, you look at that, only I want to change it, use the same letters, the CSI, only change it to Christian Scene Investigation. Is there enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? I'll give you, you know, obviously in 18. Uh, 91, we saw earlier, he had fingerprints. And the first time he was instigated or was put into a court of law and they convicted someone on fingerprints. Today, the biggest one, obviously, would they have yeah, fingerprints, but they use DNA. And so when you think about it, think about how do you define physical evidence. This is how um, an author did in his book on criminology. Physical evidence, is, he defines it as any and all objects that can be established that a crime is committed or can provide a link between a crime and its victim or a crime and its perpetrator. Forensic scientist Paul Kirk says, physical evidence does not forget. It does not confuse, it is not confused by the excitement of the moment. It's not absent when human witnesses are. It's factual evidence. Physical evidence cannot be wrong. It cannot perjure itself. Only its interpretation can err. So he stopped and he think about the physical evidence that we have on the Christian scene investigation. The problem we have is our personal testimony, our personal memory. If you think about it in Romans 12 and verse 3, it says, don't think too highly or too lowly of yourself. My older brother and I have often commented when we've had the family get-togethers and we start hearing some of the stories of our childhood from different siblings and he and I have looked at each other and afterward, I don't remember it that way to you. Nope, I don't remember that way either. 
when you stop and think about it, we often, I don't think it's necessarily done intentionally, but I think we often, our personal memory or how we think of things are not really accurate. Give you an example, just when talk, since we're talking about the Christian scene, we often talk about the people, yeah, I have a regular quiet time. Okay? If that's the case, how many did you have this week? You know? You know? Do naps count? <laughs> <laughs> yep. You stop and you think about it. If it's regular, I mean, we eat regularly. I mean, you know, you stop and you think about it. Well, I think so oftentimes we can, or we said we prayed for. Ten minutes a day, but then was it more like two or three? We can kind of we can do the same thing on uh, giving. I give ten percent, which I don't check records and never have, never will. But if you made a thousand dollars a week, that means you make how much? Fifty-two thousand a year. So if you gave ten percent, you ought to be putting in how much every week? Hundred dollars. But our records may show. What? Well, they send you up a little piece at the end of the year, $2,500. Well, I guess I only gave 5%. So I think so often we are, in our memory, we're thinking we're doing certain things, but in actuality, we're not. So let's think about that the Christian scene investigation. Five different things. One is who you are, your DNA. You stop and think about it. If you remember in Galatians 2 and verse 20, it tells you. I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a new life. You have the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we have a new DNA. The problem is we still have the old DNA. <laughs> And Galatians 5, 19 and 22 talk about we have the old way of, you know, we can get mad on anything. We can, I mean, our old sin nature is there. And then we also have the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit we have there. We have this DNA. And I want you to think about it. Look over in Philippians 2, then, who we are as a new creature. Let's think about this. Philippians chapter 2, we've seen this several times. Verse 3 down to verse 8, but uh, since we've covered it before, we won't cover it a lot. But it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility let each one regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look at your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So notice, first of all, we're supposed to not think of just ourselves. We need the other mentality. And uh, how easy is it to have the other mentality? Look at the verbs now you're going to have about Christ. Remember it says, have this attitude in you which is also in Christ. Notice the verbs in verse 6 to 8. Who although he existed in the form of man, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. If that was you, what would you and I do? He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Notice what was Christ's DNA? Who was he thinking of? He was thinking of you and I, and that's why I think of the other mentality that you have. 
when we're told to examine ourselves, we're told to think in verse 5 like Christ. The other mentality. You have all these others in Scripture. You stop and look at a lot of the different ones and we can uh, be positive or negative based on the different ones. I think there's 21 in Scripture. We looked at them before. Uh, the other mentalities. So uh, think about when you are being like Christ, you switch from your focus. Your focus switches from me to others. If Christ was thinking of Himself, He would have stayed in heaven. How many of you are looking for the day when you go to heaven? And when you get there, how many of you are going to say, Lord, send me back? So notice, I think it's, first of all, as our focus changes from me to others. The second thing, which you can find in 1 Peter, if you would, turn over to chapter 3, is it changes our focus, uh, changes us. When we are changing from uh, me to others, it also helps change us within ourselves. Because what we're going to read here doesn't come up come naturally. First Peter chapter three, notice in verse eight, verse nine. It says, To sum up, let all harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind hearted, humble in spirit. Is that what comes natural? No. No. You're exactly right. Definitely doesn't come natural, but that's what we need to be doing. Notice a change of heart. Notice in 9. Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now notice then when our DNA, when God is working in our lives and we give it control to Him, we are how we would normally respond is not what we do. Uh, would there be occasions? Most definitely. But our nature is going to change and we're going to respond correctly and how we need to. And so when you think about it, some examples of that, you think about it, what about Paul and Silas? You remember in Acts 16, one of the most famous ones, you remember they're beaten. They're Roman citizens. They're not supposed to be beaten. They're beaten illegally. And they're thrown in prison. And they're in stocks. And what are they doing? They're singing and praising the Lord. And how many of us, when, we're singing, when that happens to us, are we singing and praising the Lord? So much so that notice the Philippian jailer, when you go down to verse 30, says, what must I do to be saved? You have something that I want. You're different, and I want it. It's also interesting that the rest of the prisoners were listening as well, and not one of them left when they could have. That's quite an impact that they were making. No different than Paul in Acts 27 when he said we shouldn't have left or when he says every one of us is going to be spared on this shipwreck. And everyone did what Paul said to do. Paul was a prisoner, but by the time the ship was finished, he was the captain of the ship because the Holy Spirit was controlling him. The DNA makes all the difference. What about Ananias? So if you think about it in Acts 9, how many of us, if we know somebody's coming here to imprison us, beat us, or kill us, we're going to go talk to him. And he has all the papers, but God says go to straight street and talk to Paul because he is going to be my servant. Or in Acts 6 with Stephen, if somebody's throwing rocks and stoning me, I would probably grab one and at least chuck one. 
I mean, I think that's our human nature, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and what does Stephen do? Father, don't hold it to their account. That's only possible when you're changed from the inside, a new DNA. And so I think the question we can, again, we can ask ourselves is, who are you? Ask the question, since you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, has your DNA changed? If there's no change in your DNA, the better question would be, have you ever accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Recognizing He died in your place and the Holy Spirit's living in And so I think, first of all, then the, the Christian scene investigation is, who are you? What DNA? Now, you have a, a difference as to who's controlling, but who are you? The second question is, what you do? Look over in uh, Matthew chapter 7. We already talked about in uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh in, in Galatians 5. Look over in Matthew 7, what you do. Notice, we'll start in 15, unless I actually do what we're looking at, but in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Matthew, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inly are ravenous wolves. Okay, so you want to show the truth. Notice then, 16, what you do. You'll know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruit. So obviously then, the question is, what do you do? What fruit do you have to show for your life? If you are a Christian, you need to have fruit that's showing. You have spiritual fruit, and then you also have physical fruit that should be shown. Spiritual uh, fruit, you stop and think about it. You remember in Acts 3, we saw it on Wednesday night, remember with Peter, and the lame person comes up to him and is basically sitting there wanting money. And what does Peter say? Silver and gold I have none, but does he have Jesus Christ? Well, isn't that what people need? If you feed them today, they're going to need food tomorrow. But give them spiritual food, they have spiritual food for life. So what am I doing spiritually? In John 13, you remember in verse 35, By this shall all men know you are my disciples. What? If you have love one for another. Would you agree that a lot of Christians aren't very lovable? I mean, a lot of Christians aren't very lovable. But does He tell you to love only the ones that you want to love? No. Spiritual fruit, you love them anyway. You could also say the same thing about a lot of your family members, right? Are they about us? So we want the spiritual fruit. Another one, I think, is the physical fruit. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, look over there for a moment, and we'll also be in, in uh, James. 1 John chapter 3. Starting in 16, this will rarely be asked of us. 
We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Most of us will never be asked to lay down our life for others. So it's easy to say, I love you, because we probably will never be asked to lay down our life. But He goes then to the next verse. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Physical help. A helping hand. Somebody can need and we have ability to help, and there's a need, then what we do, we need to be helping. You know what it says? Obviously, we can go, obviously, Thessalonica, if you don't work, you don't eat. We're not talking about that, that situation. But there's a lot of people, we're told in Galatians 5, to help those whose burdens are too heavy, they can't carry it, and we need to help them. And what happens is we need to be looking around, and who can we help, and what can we do? And that can come in a lot of different forms. Come in a lot of different forms. Look over in Galatians, or excuse me, in James 1, let's look at another. Besides the helping hands, James is going to tell us three different things on the physical fruit that will show. Notice he's talking about the doer of the word, not just a hearer, but notice in verse 25, the one who looks intently, he's talking about a mirror, and the word intently means to stoop. Now why would they stoop to look in a mirror? What were mirrors made of in those days? Polished brass. Polished metal. So how well are you going to see yourself from a distance? So you have to stoop and really look closely at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abide by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. Notice then in 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, so first of all, we have to bridle our tongue. How many of you find that the older you get, the quicker it is just to let it fly? Because we don't care what people think. This is who I am, and they're going to get whatever I think. No filter, just let it go. That's the second thing. <clears throat> what is, besides bridle his tongue, sees his own heart, this man's religion is worthless, then notice 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God to visit orphans and widows in their distress. So we're going to have service. And then notice the last one. Keep oneself unstained by the world. So our speech is going to be affected. Our service is going to be expected. And also then stainless by the things around the world. And obviously if you get around a lot of things, like I said, when I was down in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, I was at the iron ore mine. I didn't go into a single mine, but how much iron ore do you think I had on me when I left? I also had coal mines we looked at. I also had coal on me when I left. And you get the stuff from your iron ore in your clothes, it's not easy to get out. So think about it, your physical fruit, helping hands, my speech, my service, stainless. And you think about it, it's going to happen all the time when you get around just give you a one that's just happened to me in the last few weeks just talking about what to what you do uh, Mike son-in-law has a, a mechanic shop and he has a young man a good friend of his name Scotty 
Scotty is uh, not a believer and he has uh, seizures quite a bit. So they have to kind of keep an eye on And he and I have built a kind of a, a friendship. And he finally asked me, y'all, it's been several months ago, you know, basically uh, what, made, what made me different? Why was I helping him? I was helping him more, helping him different stuff. Okay, thinking about this verse. Now, that's who I am. That's what I need to do. And he wanted to know about it. So I said, uh, well, if I get you a little book, would you read it? Well, it was the life that God rewards. A little bitty book, basically talking about what works is good for and what but you come to know Christ, the person saved. Well, my mistake was he asked me, and I kept going to get the book, I'm going to get the book, I'm going to get the book. Well, I finally got it, but it was four months later. So I stopped by to give it to him, and he's kind of like, why are you giving me that? He needed it right away. So anyway, I gave it to him, and since then his parents were in the tornado down in Shawnee. He's been pretty busy. I haven't had a chance to get back to see him. But I thought, well, I'm ordering one book, I'll order two. There's a guy at work who's just gone through a divorce. He also has uh, uh, to wear an ankle bracelet, other things going on in his life. And I uh, went into scene, and he was Bibles on the table. Red letter edition. I knew immediately what it was when I saw it. Yeah, that kind of surprised me. So he needed to talk, talk a little bit. I said, uh, remember, I thought well, I ought to buy two copies. Maybe somebody else will like it. So I said, do you like to read? you want to know more about it? Yes. I gave it to him last Friday. Monday, I walked in, somebody else in, and he handed me the book and said, that was good. I read the whole thing over the weekend. Oh, okay, so we're going to talk. I'm going to get a chance alone with it. So now I had the book in the truck with me. I'm driving to the refinery. I have a back truck driver as a believer named John. And John is very, very intelligent. I said, in spite of the job that he does, I said, John, do you like to read? He said, yeah. I gave him the book. He saw me Friday. His statement to me, it was kind of interesting, the statement that he gave me. He said, I've been thinking too much about just one job I have. I'm not thinking about my eternal job. Isn't that exactly what you wanted? So you think about it, going through your everyday life, meeting everyday people. One, you do it at the right time. One of them you didn't. The other two you did. But you have ten things to follow up. Just what can you do? Follow up and look at it. So i got some three conversations I need to have in the next few weeks to see how it goes. But again, what about you? What can you do this week? Just everyday activities, everyday things. Lord, what can I do? How can I get a conversation started? Uh, what they do with it is up to them and the Holy Spirit working in their life. So besides who are who you are, your DNA, and what you do, what about where you go? Does that have anything to do about your Christian life? Yes. Okay, let's look, at, look over at Psalms 84 and verse 10, and I want you to think about if this can hit home at all. Psalms 84 and verse 10. If you look at the title at the top, it's written by the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah, who are they? They were music group, if you remember, they were actually musicians in the temple 
and they sang. So, for our vernacular, could you say to church, it's kind of a broad, loose definition, but think about it in verse 10. This is what they said, but what about you and I? For a day in thy court is better than a thousand outside. I'd st rather stand at the threshold of the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. <coughs> How many people feel that way? Oh no, it's Sunday. I've got to go to church. I hope he's short today. <laughs> you, know, you stop and you think, well, why do we go to church? What's the purpose? Purpose to with which to learn the uh, word of God, how to apply it to our life, how to share. You know, if we're supposed to be a uh, a body, we all need each other and working together. Notice that's the attitude in in Hebrews ten. If you remember, it says uh, in verse twenty four and in twenty five, you'll often if you're if you're not attending church, you'll have people uh, uh, come up and quote this to you. <laughs> Uh, but notice, I'll just read it for you. In Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking or abandoning the assembling of ourselves as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our attitude, we really want to come. We want to learn. We want to serve. Our actions we're going to attend. And then if you think about the audience, in 1 Corinthians 6, does it not say you have been bought with a price? Because in verse 19 it says, the Holy Spirit, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the audience, wherever I go, who goes with me? The Holy Spirit does. So when I'm driving, is the Holy Spirit? Yep, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is there. So when you think about it, where I go, it's important to realize I'm, you know, I may be alone, but I'm not. You're exactly right. The Holy Spirit's with me. What I say, the Holy Spirit's with me. So I want you to think about it. So one is who you are. You have a new DNA. Is it showing? It should show in what you do. It should show in where you go. It also should show in what you say. In Ephesians 4 turn there for a moment. You had in Colossians 4 also we've looked at it. Ephesians 4 talking about the Holy Spirit and how we can grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word. Now, the word for unwholesome is where we get our word rotten. Have any of us ever said anything rotten? <laughs> to other people. Let no unwholesome rotten word proceed from your mouth. Notice the qualifications. Only such a word as is good for edification. Edification means the building up according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Unmerited faith. It may be true, but it's not the right moment. It may be whatever, but it's going to tear them down and not build them up. There's a time when you truth needs, but there's also a time when and where and what to say. If somebody's super exhausted, is that the time to confront them about something? No. 
so I think it's important when we think about what we say, it's our timing. In Colossians 4, it says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Salt, penetrating, preserving. Then it also says, for each individual, what's needed at the moment. Treat each individual differently. And I, it's one of the hardest things when you get into a classroom and you have a lot of students. It is so difficult because you want to basically have a shotgun approach and just blast it. And then one BB hit every one of them. And you really can't. And you don't have enough hours and time in the day to have every one. And that's the frustration. You'll have one, like we had uh, John, when I said he's very intelligent, his son just got a 35 on his ACT. Anywhere he wants to go in the country, free, he can go. But then in the same classroom, you'll have those that get a 10 or a 12 on their ACT. We'll have some of these classes in high school that don't even know their vowels. And you're thinking, how in the world are you supposed to be teaching them when they don't even know their vowels? And so it's so difficult to stop and look at it. So think about it. What you say is so important. I'll give you an illustration of this. Gene's younger brother, Tom, eight years younger than Gene, lived with us. We raised him for a couple of years, putting him through high school. And, you know, we had things you weren't, you know, could say and not say in the house. Well, he said some things that he shouldn't have said. The deal was, all right, bar soap. But he had had it happen once to him. Well, this time, it was later, you know, he didn't do it often. This time it came up. He said, no, I'm going to do it myself. Well, that's when he the liquid soap first came out. Any of you have had anything to do with liquid soap? Well, he didn't not realize it. He filled his mouth up full of that liquid soap. He had bubbles. <laughs> I couldn't have done better no matter what I did. The point was well made. But I want you to think about that. What about you and I? I've heard people doing this and have done it with their kids. Anytime they said a bad word as a parent, the child was to remind them and they had to give up a quarter. Or give up a dollar. Every time that happens, most of us really kind of like what's in our wallet. If you're being honest, and every time you start putting that dollar up, how many times do you think your mind is going to start thinking about what you're saying? If I really am going to be serious about it, then start setting those things up. I guarantee you, you'll be reminded real quick. And if you ask your kids, they will be more than happy to remind you. So think about it. The last one I like to think about is besides uh, who you are, your DNA, what you do, where you go, or what you say. The fifth one is who you associate with. Who you associate with. I think it's interesting, I was reading one the last couple of weeks, two different ones, experts basically said, you, you introduce me to your three friends and I'll tell you an awful lot about you and where you're going to go. But who we associate with? 1 Corinthians 15:33 tells you what? Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, if you're around somebody given to anger, what's going to happen? You're going to be like, given to anger. Psalms 1, it says, don't stand, sit, or walk with those of the ungodly. Why? Witness to them, but you don't spend all your time. So what are we listening to? What are we watching? 
those all have a tremendous impact in your life. Growing up, we weren't supposed to listen to a certain type of music, and I remember telling my parents, oh, I don't listen to the words, I just want to listen to the music. I never tried to listen to the words, but when those songs come along 40 and 50 years later, I can tell you the words in the song. I didn't even try to learn. We become so much like the people we're with. So you think about it, who are your closest, in fact, he even told 2 Timothy 2 and 22, Paul tells Timothy just before he dies who to associate with. People who are godly. One of his parting things to his young pastor friend was who you associate yourself with. So a question you can ask, who are your three closest friends? Who are they? How would you describe the characteristics of those three closest friends? Write down those qualifications. Well, they're, they're, what they're like, their characteristics. That's what you're going to have if you continue to spend time with them. A lot of time with them. So think about it. Let me give you one an application just in closing. So besides who you are, what you do, where you go, what you say, and who you associate with. This was a young man by the name of Loeb. L-O-E-B. Hebrew. Jewish man. He was born in Buttonham, and he then moved to San Francisco. Born in February 26th, 1826. He moved to San Francisco and opened up a textile company. Right, right in the middle of what you remember the, the gold mining days. Gold miner comes in, and he, remember he owns a textile company. Gold miner comes in, and he's very upset with it. He said, I bought these trousers here, and he looks, shows him, he's my knees are wore out. You're selling me bad jeans. You're low ab, what are you going to do? He said, well, you got to, that's the wrong kind of, we have canvases that we make tents out of. We need to, he calls a tailor, a tailor comes in and makes him a pair of trousers out of tent material, canvas material. It wasn't long before all the gold miners were coming to see him and buying this stuff from him because they were working. Notice, did the gold miner have evidence to show that his, yeah, he had holes in his knees because obviously he's on his knees doing all the digging. Lord, then, remember, he sees it and he makes changes. Hey, there's a need and I need to meet this address and address it. Lord, by the way, I didn't tell you, changed his name when he came to the United States. What's his name? Levi Strauss. Yep. You think about it. It could be, there's a, yeah, there's a, well, take it or leave it. The refinery is different things I've been needing and I've tried to go to all the major companies, couldn't get it. Because it's such a small item, they didn't want to help me. I've since found Tim at Freedom Rubber and he goes the extra mile and he is a believer and He's found all kinds of stuff that nobody else can find for me because they don't want to take the time. There's a need. He takes the time. And therefore, he has my business. But stop and think about it. What about you? Levi sees the need. He addresses the need. And we know the rest is history. I think he's done quite well for himself. What would you say? What about you? 
what kind of DNA do you have? Have you really accepted Christ? And can people see? They'll know it by what you do, where you go, what you say, and who you associate with. So, Christian scene investigation. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian this week? That'd be a good question to ask yourself every night. In the morning, will there be in the end of the day, is there any evidence to convict me today? If there isn't, we have something to work on tomorrow. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.